it was just, it was a wild time to be society and uh, it, uh, I'll tell you that story another time. <laughs> One of the stories that he told about Ramanujanjan, and I have told Ramanujanjans ever since, so some of you may already know, um, but I haven't told it for a long time except a couple of weeks ago when I'm over when uh, we had lost him. Before that, that I told it was at a Zen teachers association, the American Zen teachers association. And in the middle of my talk, I had a stroke. And so, and it was not a really severe stroke, but I didn't remember any of the talk. I, and people, um, after the talk, people said, Audrey, you're not making any sense. And, I didn't remember anybody's name, so I ended up in Buffalo Hospital for a few days. <laughs> so I'm, I was just hoping that would not happen again. <laughs> 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 because it was, well, I think it was the nervousness of all these Zen teachers, you know, that I was giving this talk to. Yeah. All right, so this is what it was. It's about this uh, really, sorry, I'm not going fast. Um, it's about this uh, nice farmer took place in Korea. And he and his wife uh, lived humbly on a small piece of land. They lived in a thatched roof place. It was very humble. They worked very, very hard. And uh, they kept, of course, food that they grew some of the food for themselves, but how they earned their little income was to have a farm cart and take it to market. And um, so they, it was about noon one day, and um, he said, just kind of practice while I'm talking. So we went to learn to practice in the midst of this event of wisdom. So see what you can do. So it was about noontime, and um, his wife was in their little house in the kitchen, uh, preparing uh, to make their meal. And he was out in the garden in the field, and he was weeding. It was a time of year, quite a lot of weeds. And uh, he 
new lunch was, you know, the son had to move across the sky a little further before lunch, and he got a craving for a cigarette. And he knew how much his, his wife really hated his smoking. So he decided, well, let's step into the nearby forest. Most of the fields have like a forest around the mountain. And um, there was a little path in the forest, a little hill that he usually always walked up. And he turned around because he heard a noise. And there was a bear in the bushes. You know, late in a really edgy night. And the bear seemed to be coming in his direction. So he quickened his pace. And uh, tried to wonder, uh, figure out what, what he can do. And he knew there's a big, big tree up the path a little further. So he thought if he ran, he might be able to get on it the other side, and then climb the tree, you know. The bear was moving faster, and so he ran, and he got on the other side of the tree, and the bear just was going around the tree, you know, trying to get him. He didn't climb up. And finally, the, the farmer, you know, he grabbed the bear's paws. So they were stuck there, the bear <laughs> and the farmer, the, the tree in the middle. It was kind of a desperate situation. Didn't know what to do. And then, in the midst of this angst, Singyo Changur Chedaram. And the farmer listened. It was the monk who usually did his chanting rounds and walking meditation in the bush from the monastery right nearby. And the monk came closer and closer, and the bear and the farmer are still there, really. And uh, the monk came out to them. Aigo! It's a kind of exclamation. Oh my gosh, what is happening here? Kind of thing. Aigo! And the farmer said, Monk, um, can you help me? And the monk said, oh, he said, could you just please hold this bear while I have a cigarette? <laughs> 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 and the monk, you know, was quite an innocent fellow. You know, when you paint the late Contreras compassion drawing, there's much easier to get like that. And so he agreed. And with a little bit of dancing, he managed to get the bear partnered with the monk. And absolutely ran off down the hill and back into the field. <laughs> he wanted to get out of there. And he started to read again, kind of desperately. And he was feeling really kind of guilty. <laughs> oh my gosh, what did I do? You know, kind of thing. So it was a real conundrum all around, you know. Uh, his wife, his cigarette smoking, the bear, tricking a monk, all of that. And so he began, and then he's reading, reading, reading. It's good to do manual work when you're really in the midst of melodrama. And um, he looked up, and there was the bear 
coming out of the woods and it was on all fours, galloping, and the monk was on its back and was cheering, holding on to the scruff and cheering, just quite joyful, and ran right past the farmer. And the farmer said, how did you do that? So that's, a, that's the first story in the first retreat that I did with Taylor. Did you get that one too, Phil Cho? I've heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> so what's it about anyway? I guess it's kind of a rhetorical question. Um, I think if we sat down, we could uh, chew the Dharma fat and figure out all kinds of things that it's about. But um, basically, to put it in our situation, is that we all have a bear in some sense. It might be a really big one, a really small one, whatever of all sizes there around. And we also are wrestling with it and like to give it to somebody else. <laughs> because of that bear, so I think, you know, uh, we come to a retreat because we want to really, I don't know exactly if this will fit for everybody, but want to really find out who we really are and deal with the issues in our life, and maybe this will be a place where that can happen. So after that retreat, Sam said, I was there uh, with my partner at the time, later my husband, and um, he sat us down in front of him right after the retreat and said, and now you must, this was like 10 day retreat, it was really boot camp. We hardly got any sleep, we, life was so unpredictable, we ran in the snow, we did so many things that I would never have chosen to do. But I was a long way from where I lived and I couldn't run away. And so I thought that I had really done something and I must know something about meditation now. And he sat us down and he said, now you take the introductory meditation course. <laughs> and in those days, it was 10 classes long. Did you ever know that, that it was 10 classes long? And, so, and we lived in Beaverton. Oh, actually, who lived here? This was all happening here in Toronto when I first came, went to the end of London. We lived in Beaverton uh, above a hardware store. So it took about a, it's about 90 miles away, just a good hour and something to get back and forth. And so we came like on Thursday evening for 10 Thursdays back and forth to do this meditation course. And of course, we had stories as part of the meditation course, too. I think that's where I learned to really love stories and to really enjoy telling stories, because I got such good ones from him. And um, so the story that he told during the introductory meditation course was, um, he would paint the picture in the monastery 
The older monks and nuns mentored the younger ones. And in the evenings, after evening practice, they, the older monks and nuns would take their students out into the temple courtyard, two beautiful places, and they would teach them about how to be a monk. And they would tell them stories about the Buddhist tradition and tell them their own stories. And so it was quite intimate. And um, this particular story that Sunan told was that the old monks and nuns would tell the story of the blind turtle swimming in the ocean. It's a story which originally comes from Asante, I think, uh, from about the fourth century. And um, there's this blind turtle swimming, swimming, swimming in the ocean. You can imagine, it's a bit tiring. Have you ever seen turtles kind of resting and sleeping on logs? They pull themselves out by strings. Well, when you're stuck swimming in the ocean, you're looking for somewhere for rest. And so the blind turtle looking for a log with a kind of hole in it so the turtle can pull itself up and find some rest. It comes for a little while. And, uh, and in this particular story, this turtle finally did find a log like that and pulled itself up and was resting and felt a kind of freedom and peace. And so the old monk nun would say to the young students, that's just like you, swimming in samsara, in life. And you are also trying to find peace of mind and rest. And he said, just like it's very rare for the turtle to find a log with hole, a hole in it in the vast ocean where it's swimming, so it is for you, he would point to the young students, to be here at the monastery because there's so many other places you could be right now. And hardly any people here compared to everybody doing other things. So this is extremely rare. He would say, and you must take great care of this rare opportunity. And so he said, you know, this is, Sunim would say then, this is like your stint in the monastery to the students and the monks and sisters. And I would say, this is like your stint in the monastery to the students at the young and grand In our world these days, and he was telling, I sort of converted it for the US, but anyway, he said in a lot of countries, in the world, for instance, in the Theravadan Buddhist countries of South Asia, it's customary, it has been for many, um, many years that young people would go to the temple for a period of time and they would get trained and it was just a part of the culture. And it was said that the mothers didn't like their kids to marry someone who hadn't done a little stint in the monastery. So there was a lot of encouragement, go and take the time. And then in India, if you're familiar with the yoga system, people waited till 
the later part of their life to put aside work and raising kids and all of that and to come to go for training in the ashram. But in our country, in the United States, where I've been living for quite a long time now, there is another thing which is really a footnote to that. I mean, there's armed forces of all, you know. So this becomes an even more rare thing to be doing and more important to take it seriously. So that's why I'm telling you the story, is because of how rare it really is. And but, you know, there's an expression, um, spring comes and the grass grows green by itself. There's all these conditions. It, the moon was full a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure the moon has something to do with the grass growing green by itself, the, the spring moon. It's called the pink moon, I think. Blue moon, blue moon it's called. And then uh, you come to the Young Junction, and as a result of all the conditions here, we awaken a little. We start to get a feeling for our Buddha nature. When Thunum was always talking to us, he would say, just even 5% knowing your Buddha nature is pretty good. And if you get up to 25%, that's really, really good. And uh, he said, in one talk, I was reading his talk the last few weeks. He said, if you get to 50%, that is amazing. You don't have to really get to 100% if you can just get to, one, to 50%. So I'm saying uh, that you know we are in the process of really come to know it. If you know your Buddha nature, you know what no self is all about, what interbeing is all about, what interpenetration is all about. All of these things, as you come to know your Buddha nature, and when you know those things relationships and harmony are easier. So Sunam gave a, 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 a formula which is good for us to examine a little bit so that we can kind of see where we are. It's called the meditation formula. Are you still doing your practice? Yes? Yes? Good. You see? We can do many things, and let our, but our practice is there too. Okay? okay, so the formula is, you might have to stop your practice to memorize this, okay? <laughs> All right. Meditation is concentration. Concentration is Oneness. Oneness, that's the first part. And then the next part is oneness is no self, no other. Okay, so have you got it memorized so far? No? Meditation is concentration. Concentration. 
one minute. What's the next? They are helping you, okay? Oneness is with no self. No others, yes. And no others. Okay. Pay attention. No self, no others is no birth, no death. No birth, no death is true suchness. And the qualities of true suchness, intimate, immediate, spontaneous, and obvious. And then it's a capping phrase. Everyday life is the way of Buddha. The way of Buddha is everyday life. Let's go back to intimate. Sometimes these days, enlightenment and awakening has been called intimacy. It's a, a characteristic of true suchness when there's real intimacy. And you can relate intimacy to oneness, no self, no others. A lot of times, intimacy is a, is a really beautiful and quite obvious thing to experience. Even in your cooking, you could be really having, a, be right there concentrated in oneness and a real sense of intimacy and spontaneity. True, eh? <laughs> yeah, I saw you cooking. And some of you were doing lanterns and you, to, to get the thing folded and then to bring it up and do all this stuff, it requires concentration and experience. Also intimacy, you kind of become in a timeless state. So here's what I want you to do, and we're gonna say this meditation formula together, is to carry it, because it will name your experiences sometimes. You know, I didn't come up with, with uh, all the teachings that I'm talking to you right now, but I did have the experiences, and then when I read, or I heard talks, I said, oh, that's what's happening. So my, my reading and my listening to Dharma talks help me articulate my experiences. So I'm giving you this formula to help you, come soon, uh, to help you to, to begin to articulate your experiences more. Oh, yeah, doing not much and all of a sudden, there it is. So. Meditation is concentration. Concentration is concentration. Concentration is oneness. Concentration is oneness. Oneness is no self, no others. Oneness is no self, no others. No self, no others is no birth, no death. No self, no others is no birth, no death. No birth, no death is true suchness. No birth, no death is true suchness. True suchness is intimate, immediate, spontaneous, and obvious. True, true suchness, suchness is immediate, spontaneous, and obvious. Everyday life is the way of Buddha. Everyday life is the way.
way of Buddha is everyday life. The way of Buddha is everyday life. Okay, let's just do it one more time. All together, I'll just do it and you throw your voice in. Meditation is concentration. Concentration is oneness. Oneness is no self, no others. No self, no others is no birth, no death. No birth, no death is true suchness. True suchness is intimate, immediate, spontaneous, and obvious. Everyday life is the way of Buddha. The way of Buddha is everyday life. Keep going with this practice. See what happens. We say over and over again. And once again, fresh in each very moment, opportunity friends okay so let's stand that you lean forward and stretch your back and take this in back and arch back and then you come up and just gently move from side to side so getting your weight equally balanced on your mat and Now, your sternum, just bring 
mid-chest. Gently, without really moving very much, but have your inner eye there and move your sternum slightly up. Inner eye on the sternum. Good. Now, taking your inner eye to your shoulder. And very imperceptibly release your shoulders to gravity. Inner eye to your shoulder blade. which I offered to you. The hip shoulder. The sternum blade. Shoulders release to gravity. Shoulder blade. Reaching a little bit toward your wall behind you. Place the tip of your tongue on the back of your top teeth. 